part three chapter twenty nine b of a vital question or what is to be done by nikolai chernyshevsky translated by nathan haskell dole eighteen fifty two to nineteen thirty five and others this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine part three marriage and second love chapter twenty nine b this entered his mind when he was halfway through his sixteenth year because from that time his peculiarities began to develop themselves at sixteen he came to petersburg as a commonplace good-natured graduate of the gymnasium a commonplace kind and honest youth and he spent three or four months in an ordinary way as all new students do but he began to learn that there were among the students some very clever heads who had different ideas from the rest and he learned the names of half a dozen such students at that time there were only a few they interested him and he began to try to make their acquaintance he happened to get acquainted with kirsdnof and from this time dated his regeneration into an extraordinary man the future nikitushka lomov and the rigorist he listened eagerly to kirsdnof the first evening he wept he interrupted him with exclamations of curses against all that was to vanish and blessings on all that must live what book shall i begin to read kirsdnof directed him on the next day at eight o'clock in the morning he was walking down the nevsky from the admiralty to the police bridge wondering which german or french bookstore would be the first to open he took what he wanted and read steadily for more than seventy-two hours in succession from eleven o'clock on thursday morning till nine o'clock sunday evening eighty-two hours the first two nights he did not sleep at all on the third he drank eight cups of the strongest coffee but on the fourth night coffee refused to support his strength he fell down on the floor and slept for fifteen hours at the end of a week he came to kirsdnof asked what books further he should read and some explanations they became friends and through him he afterwards met the lopukhovs in six months though he was only seventeen while they were each one and twenty they didn't look upon him as only a young fellow compared to themselves and he had indeed become an extraordinary man what earnest was there in his past life for such a course not a very great one but still there was something his father was a man of despotic character very clever educated and an ultra-conservative in the very same way as marya alexyevna was ultra-conservative but he was honest it was hard for him of course but that would not have made any difference to rakhmatov but his mother a woman of very delicate nature suffered much from her husband's severity and his whole life was bounded by the village and this too would not have made any difference there was another thing it happened that when he was fifteen he fell in love with one of his father's mistresses trouble ensued which was of course trying to her he pitied a woman who had suffered a great deal on his account thoughts began to stir in him and kirsdnof stood in the same relation to him as lopukhov had stood to vira pavlovna there was an earnest in his past life but in becoming such an extraordinary man the principal element is nature for some time before he left the university and went back to his estate and afterwards while wandering over russia he adopted original principles in his material moral and intellectual life and after he returned they had been crystallized into a complete system to which he unflinchingly adhered he said to himself i am not going to drink a drop of wine i shall not touch a woman yet his nature was passionate what is the need 
there is no good of going to such extremes it is necessary we ask demand for all people the full enjoyment of life we must bear witness with our own lives that we are demanding this not for the gratification of our personal passions not for ourselves personally but for humanity in general that we speak only in accordance with principle and not from preference according to conviction and not individual necessity consequently he began to lead a very severe and ascetic style of life to become a nikitushka lomov and keep up the character he had to eat meat a great deal of meat and he ate a great deal but he grudged every kopeck that he spent on anything else but meat he gave orders to his landlady to buy the very best meat that was to be had and have the very best pieces for him but all else that he ate at home was of the cheapest description he gave up white bread and ate only black bread at his table for weeks at a time he never had a piece of sugar in his mouth for months at a time he never tasted fruit or veal or chicken with his own money he never bought anything of the kind i have no right to spend money for luxuries which i can easily get along without yet he was brought up at a table where luxury reigned and his taste was refined as was seen by his remarks on dishes when he used to dine at the table of others he enjoyed a good many of the dishes of which he did not partake at his own table but some dishes he would not eat at the table of a stranger the cause for the distinction was a solid one what the common people eat now and then i also may eat occasionally but whatever is not in the reach of the common people i too must not eat this i must do so as to appreciate how wretched the lives of the people are in comparison with mine therefore if fruits were served he actually ate apples but he absolutely refused apricots oranges he would eat in petersburg but he would not touch them in the provinces don't you see in petersburg the people sometimes eat them but never in the provinces pies he used to eat because a good pirogue is not worse than a pie and pie crust is familiar to the common people but he never ate sardines he used to dress very poorly though at one time he liked finery and in all other respects he led the life of a spartan for example he never allowed a mattress and he slept on a bag of straw not even allowing it to be doubled he had one spot on his conscience he did not give up smoking i cannot think without a cigar if that is really so then i am right but maybe it is from weakness of will-power and he would not smoke bad cigars for he was brought up amid aristocratic surroundings out of his four hundred roubles of income he used to spend one hundred and fifty on cigars it is a detestable weakness as he used to express himself and only this weakness afforded some possibility of getting the best of him if he went too far with his reproaches of others the one whom he reproached would say to him yes but perfection is impossible even you smoke then rakhmatov would break out into reproaches of double strength but the greater part he would pour out on his own head the other would get the smaller share of them though he would not be forgotten he succeeded in accomplishing a great deal because in disposing of his time he put exactly as firm restrictions on himself as in material things not a quarter of an hour a month was lost in recreation he did not take rest my occupations are various change from one occupation to another is sufficient rest he did not join the circle of his friends whose headquarters were at kirsdnofs or the lopukhovs more frequently than was necessary to keep him in close relations with this circle this is necessary everyday occurrences prove the advantage of having close connection with some circle of men it is necessary to have in your power open resources for various references 
with the exception of the meetings with the circle he never called on anybody except on business and he never stayed five minutes longer than was necessary for his business and he had never allowed anybody to stay with him except on the same conditions without beating around the bush he would say to the caller we have talked about this business now you will allow me to take up other things because my time is valuable during the first months of his regeneration he used to spend almost all his time reading but this lasted only a little more than six months when he saw that he had acquired a systematic style of thought in the spirit whose principles he found to be correct he said to himself reading is now a secondary matter from this time forth i am ready for life and he began to give to reading only the time which was free from other occupations and such time was very little notwithstanding this fact he extended the circle of his knowledge with wonderful rapidity now that he is twenty-two years old he is a man of remarkably solid learning this was because he had made a rule also in this regard luxury and pleasure there should be none only what is needful and what is needful he used to say on every subject there are very few first-rate works all that you can find fuller and clearer in these few in all the rest is repeated spoiled ruined it is necessary to read only them and all other reading is only an idle waste of time let us take russian literature i say i shall read gogol before anything else in the thousand and one other stories i see from half a dozen lines on half a dozen different pages that they contain nothing else but gogol spoiled why should i read them then the same thing in science in science this limit is still more striking if i have read adam smith malthus ricardo and mill i know the alpha and the omega of their theories and i have no need of reading hundreds of other political economists no matter how famous they may be by half a dozen lines on half a dozen pages i see that i shall not find one single fresh thought which belongs to them they are all borrowed and mutilated i read only spontaneous works and only to such a degree as to appreciate their spontaneity therefore it was impossible to make him read macaulay after spending a quarter of an hour on different pages he decided i know all the originals from which this matter is taken he read thackeray's vanity fair with delight and he began to read pendennis but he gave it up when he reached the twentieth page all this is said in vanity fair apparently there will be nothing more and so there is no need of reading it every book that i read in such a way spares me the necessity of reading hundreds of books he used to say gymnastics work that served to increase his strength in reading these were rakhmatov's personal occupations but after he returned to petersburg they took only the fourth part of his time the rest of his time he spent in helping others or in things that did not belong to any one in particular constantly observing the same rule as in reading not to waste any time on secondary matters and with secondary people but to occupy himself only with things of essential importance from which the secondary things and secondary people are influenced without his interference for instance outside of his circle he used to get acquainted only with people who had influence over others whoever was not an authority for several other people could not even begin a conversation with them he used to say i beg you to excuse me and go away but in the same way it was impossible for any one with whom he had a desire to become acquainted to avoid him in any wise he simply used to come to you and say whatever he had to say with such an introduction as this i want to be acquainted with you it is necessary if you have no time now appoint another time to your trifling business he never paid the least heed no matter if you were his closest friend and begged him to help you out of your embarrassment i have no time he would say and go away but in important business he used to take a share when it was necessary as he expressed it though no one may have asked his aid 
I must, he used to say. What things he used to say and do on such occasions is beyond comprehension. Here, for example, is my own experience with him. I was then not very young. I was living comfortably, and therefore oftentimes five or six young people from my province used to visit me. Consequently, I was a valuable man for his purposes. These young people were attached to me because they saw that I had an attachment for them. In this manner he heard my name. And I, when I had met him for the first time at Kirsdnof's, had never known anything about him. This was soon after his return from his wanderings. He came in after I did. I was the only one in the company whom he did not know. When he entered, he took Kirsdnof aside, and indicating me with his eyes, said several words. Kirsdnof answered him briefly, and they separated. In a minute, Rakhmetov was sitting directly in front of me with only a small table which stood by the sofa dividing us, and from this distance, which was only an arshin and a half, he began to study my face with all his might. I was vexed. He examined me without any ceremony, as though I were not a man, but a picture. I grew angry. It was none of his business. After looking at me for two or three minutes, he said to me, Mr. N., I must get acquainted with you. I know you, but you don't know me. Ask about me of the Kozidin and anybody else whom you particularly trust in this company. Having said this, he got up and went into the other room. Who is that crank? that is rakhmetov he wants you to ask whether he can be trusted without hesitation and whether he deserves attention he is more important than all the rest of us here taken together said kirsdnof and others corroborated it in about five minutes he returned to the room where we were all sitting he did not say anything to me and he spoke very little to the others the conversation was not scientific and not important ah it is already ten o'clock he exclaimed after some little time at ten o'clock i have an engagement at such and such a place mr n he said turning to me i have a few words that i want to say to you when i took the kozidin aside to ask him who you were i pointed you out with my eyes so that you must have seen that i was asking who you were consequently it would be useless not to make signs which would be natural at asking such a question when will you be at home so that i may call on you i did not like new acquaintances at that time and this imposition did not please me at all i am only at home when i am asleep i am out all day i said but you sleep at home what time do you go to bed very late for example two or three o'clock that makes no difference to me name your time if it's absolutely necessary i will set to-morrow at half-past four in the morning of course i might take your words to be insulting and ridiculous but maybe it is true that you have your own reasons which very likely deserve approval at all events i shall call upon you to-morrow morning at half-past four no if you are so bent upon it you may come a little later i will be home all the morning till twelve o'clock all right i'll be there at ten o'clock will you be alone yes very good he came and without any beating around the bush went straight at the matter on account of which he felt it necessary to get acquainted with me we talked for half an hour what the subject was makes no difference suffice it to say that he declared that such and such a thing must be done i said no he said you must do it i said not at all in half an hour he said it is evidently useless to talk about this matter longer are you convinced that i am a man who deserves full trust yes i was told so by all and now i see for myself and after all do you still stick to your decision i do do you know what conclusion one can draw from this that you are either a liar or a villain what do you think of that what would have been necessary to do to anybody else who said such words challenge him to a duel but he speaks in such a tone without any personal feeling 
like a historian who judges coolly and with no intention of offending but for the sake of truth and he is so strange that it would be ridiculous to take offence and all i could do was to laugh but that is one and the same thing i said in this case it is not one and the same thing nu but maybe i am both at once in this case to be both is impossible but one of the two things surely either you are thinking and acting not as you speak and in such a case you are a liar or you are thinking and acting as you speak in which case you must be a villain one or the other must be so and i take it for granted that it is the first hypothesis think as you please i said still laughing good-bye at all events understand that i still preserve my trust in you and i will be ready to renew our conversation whenever you please end of part three chapter twenty nine b recording by expatriate in bangor maine